I think that there has always been a rivalry between downhill and enduro, um, between the competitors. And I think um, most of them were pissed off. Uh, they were like, oh, you had maybe you're starting a little bit earlier. You probably had better conditions. Uh, that was luck. Oh, he's been there many times before, which wasn't true, obviously. So that's why for me it was super important to back it off uh, two weeks after in um, at the World Championship in Nazareth. It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! You've been living in a dream world, Neo. Yeah. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around yeah. once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we talking about practice. Hey, Pete, on the dude's run. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see, you think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk like Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McKelvin. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. I am recording today from Girona, Spain. Still here, although we're about to leave in a couple of days. Just capped off a really hard, productive three weeks of training with a doubleheader race weekend. Um, I don't typically race until March. Unofficially, my kind of traditional season opener has become the Mid-South Gravel Race second week of March the last few years. I just find that starting my season a bit later than uh, many folks do stands me in good stead with how long the season is these days. The last Grand Prix is third week of October now, but I couldn't really help myself because uh, there was an awesome local race here in Drone. I say local, but there were people from all over the place, well over a thousand participants over the course of the weekend. Awesome, awesome event put on by the good folks at Classmark Events. Big thanks to them for having me out. Gravel race was Saturday. Mountain bike marathon today is Sunday. Not many people did the double <laughs> at about halfway through today's mountain bike marathon. Uh, sort of asking myself why why we did it, but um, I'm glad we did. It was a great capper. Had a lot of fun. Muddy, muddy one today. And yeah, starting to pick up some momentum. I think the fitness is starting to click. And I'm excited to get the season rolling properly here soon. Um, today's episode is uh, sort of a partner episode to last week's episode. Last week we had three top finishers, female fr- finishers from last year's Enduro World Series. And th- today we have the top three male finishers from last year's Enduro World Series. Jesse Melamed, Richie Rude, and Martin Mays. Um, it was great to get Richie on too because if there's one huge regret that I still have in the back of my mind with this podcast. It's when we lost an hour-long one-on-one interview with Richie Rude. It was awesome. And I had my electronics bag stolen in Israel a couple of years ago. Still guts me to this day. So it was good to finally get him back on, although in a shorter capacity. Hopefully we'll do a full-length one soon. Thank you all so much for listening today. And I also want to say a big thank you to Everyman Jack for supporting today's episode Everyman Jack uh, is a body care company that I've been a huge fan of for a good few years. And the first way I discovered them was uh, trying their razors. Their razors are some of the best I've tried. 
um, and I've tried many, many razors out there, but I've recently gotten hooked on all of their body care products as well. They make everything from deodorant to body lotions um, to shaving cream, face wash, everything you need to take care of yourself, take care of your skin, which I am increasingly becoming aware of because the as the years roll on and I continue to have a day job outside in the elements, um, I find myself wanting to really take care of my skin more and more. And they have awesome naturally derived products to do that. Their products are made with as many naturally derived and plant-based ingredients as possible. They're cruelty-free, never tested on animals, as well as being vegan and gluten-free, if that matters to you too. And I have an awesome discount code for you, STASH20, for 20% off at everymanjack.com on any of their products, STASH20, S-T-A-C-H-E, 20, at everymanjack.com. Thank you all so much for listening today, and we'll catch you after the show. Okay, first up, we have Martin Mays, an absolute legend, third overall in the EWS last year. This guy has won a downhill World Cup and podiumed downhill world championships. Pretty fun story. Not necessarily a goal for him, per se, but he had an opportunity to race some DH, and boy, did he make the most of it. Really fun picking his brain about how hard he thinks, or easy it is, for enduro racers to cross over to downhill or vice versa. Some of the secrets to doing so successfully. It'll be interesting to see if we see some of Martin's peers doing that in the near future. Um, Yeah, just really enjoyed getting to know Martin a little bit. Uh, Really appreciate him giving us so much time. He is a very busy man these days. Uh, Obviously, his race season kicks off very soon, but he's got a a new kiddo coming soon as well. Um, And it was just uh, a pleasure getting to know him a little bit. Here's Martin Mays. All right, we're here with Martin, who's joining us from Belgium. Um, a lot of your, a lot of your peers are off chasing sun, but you're getting ready for uh, something exciting in a different way, kinda. Um, when is she expected? Oh, uh, it's next week. Should next be, week. but you never know. Uh, she's not really feeling like it at the moment so (laughs) we will see that is crazy crazy timing (laughs) yeah it is wish it was a little bit earlier but um, there are things that you can't really plan and this is one of the thing for sure but except from that I've been training well going to Spain a couple of weeks to train with the team and by myself on the road bike so I've been also spending a lot of time in the gym, things that I've never done in the past. Um, so we'll see if that pays off uh, the beginning of the season in Tasmania. <clears throat> yeah. So have you not done gym stuff in the past period or you're just doing different stuff in the gym? Um, no, I've, I, I've never been a big fan of going to the gym because... The only thing that I want to do that I wish I could do is just riding my bike because I just love it. Um, but for, for our sports, uh, but I think also for any sports, um, you need to spend a little bit of time in the gym to train upper bodies and power output and things like this. So this time I got a new coach at the gym um, to get... I guess different motivation 
Um, and um, yeah, I've been, like I said, I've been spending much more time than usual at the gym. Um, not not daily, but like one or two times a week, it's already quite a lot for me. So I'm excited to see how that's going to pay off on the yeah. bike and for the first race of the season. For sure, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, you, you've been really consistently at the front of the UWS for a good few years now. Um, obviously had crazy success at World Cup downhill also. Um, as you kind of are, are locked in this battle with a handful of other guys at the front of UWS, you know, Jesse, Richie, Jack, um, the handful of you that seem to be just always going back and forth, tight margins. Um, do you find yourself like constantly trying to discover new ways to get that last percentage or do you feel comfortable with what works? Cause obviously you're making a change this winter, but are you always kind of making adjustments and tinkering or cause that's a fine balance. Like obviously you figured out something that works super, super well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you were third overall last year, obviously, ideally your first overall, I, I have to assume as a, as a very competitive person, that's the ultimate goal. Um, what's your mindset like in that regard? Um, yeah, well, I'm guessing that if, if I'm willing to make changes like I did this, um, this off season, that means that I'm still motivated and still angry to get better and go faster. Um, I think one thing that reopened my mind and my eyes last year was getting uh, three second places in a row at the end of the season <laughs> and always being like a couple of seconds after 30, 40, 45 minutes of racing. So I was like, if I can get just slightly better at one thing, that will definitely make a difference. And that's the reason why I started to look for a new coach and, um, and I guess just following his plans and just be confident that gonna potentially makes me better. Um, it's a good feeling. And I never repeat my training uh, year after year. I always try to make a couple of changes here and there to just get better or look back at the past season being like, right, I was good at this. I was average at this. I can potentially get better in that aspect. And I guess that's why racing is so exciting is because coming to a new year, like 2023, for example, you never know where you're going to be at. Um, you can guess, but racing is that, um, you know, it's something that you can't really train or, or get prepared. It will always be hard. It will always be challenging. And the competitors will most likely be most of them the same, but they will also be, you know, either better or faster or weaker. You never know. So I think, yeah, I think how discipline enduro downhill the disciplines have changed uh, i think like every sport a little bit more professional and tighter in the sense that you could win not not easily 
10 years ago, but with more margin than now, it's like very, very tight and every second counts, but I guess that's why we all love it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously being really well-rounded is important for Enduro. Um, and you, you've had success in downhill also. Um, when you, and was it 2018 that you won a world cup? Do, yeah. do I remember that correctly? Yeah. yeah. So during that time, were you doing both or were you focused on just DH that year? I'm trying to remember. No, no, no. Because I won in Whistler, um, the EWS in 2018. And then two weeks after it was, I was like, oh yeah, you know, back in the days, GT was they were very chill with me and they were like, do you fancy doing a downer walk-up this year? Like, yeah, why not? And La Bresse was only four or 500 kilometers away from my house. So I was like, yeah, let's just get it. Um, and we went for it. Uh, didn't have any times on the downer bike, but I guess three days of practice was enough for me to get used to the bike. And... I had to say that the tracks were suiting me pretty well. It was quite physical and not super long either. So as I was still young back then, I was like, oh, yeah, this track is suiting me very well. And then it was powering down as well. So um, the conditions were very tricky and pretty much the same as I ride most of the time during the winter at home, like very muddy and wet. So um, I don't know, everything just clicked that weekend and I managed to get my first DH Walker win, which was pretty good. And then two weeks after, there was the World Championship and I finished second there as well, uh, yeah. uh, which was an awesome year. Yeah. What was obviously from fans? I remember everyone was kind of losing their minds because you just dropped in and had this crazy success, like just sort of like you said, almost as an afterthought, uh, something fun to do, but low pressure. Yeah. Um, I assume. Um, what was the response like from your peers, the fellow racers? Like, could you tell they were kind of pissed? Were they like, what the heck is this all about? Or. How, uh, what was that vibe like? No, for sure. Like, because <laughs> I think that there has always been a rivalry between downhill and enduro, um, between the competitors. And I think um, most of them were pissed off. Uh, they were <laughs> like, oh, you had maybe you're starting a little bit earlier. You probably had better conditions. Uh, that was luck, or oh, he's been there many times before, which wasn't true, obviously. So that's why, for me, it was super important to back it off uh, two weeks after in um, at the World Championship in Nazareth. Yeah. Yeah, and then they, they kind of had to swallow their words because two times in a row isn't really a fluke anymore. Um, did that make you think about switching disciplines? like full-time um i think hopefully one day i will um i think i'm very driven and focused to um get my first ews or edr world championship uh title the next few years and i think once i achieve that hopefully one day i will um 
I think yeah, once I will achieve that, potentially go back to downhill and focus fully things that I've never done in the past. Focus fully one or two years um, on downhill racing and see and see what I can do um, there. Now going um, back and forward and like every time in my case every time i would spend uh time on my downhill bike it would be time that i wouldn't have on the enduro bike and these days the margins like we said before the margin are so close that you want to do everything that you can to be at the a game when you show up to the race and that's the reason why the next the last few years i've i've haven't really tried to go back to downhill because the discipline has changed, became um, more professional, more telemetry, more works on the bikes. And now it will be, I guess, a little bit harder to go back and be be on top of your game um, on downhill and the downhill yeah. racing. So, but one day I will hopefully focus 100% on downhill and see what I can do then. Um, obviously there's differences between the two in terms of what the courses are like, the format bikes are different. Those are the obvious ones, but is there something that is different or challenging switching between the two that you think fans or the media might not be as aware of? Um, it's, it's not super, super hard to switch from one bike to the others, uh, because at the end of the day, like for either enduro and downhill the goal is to go as fast as possible downhill so yes maybe the tracks are different um maybe the length of the tracks are different but at the end of the day it's just going fast uh with the bike that you have downhill the only thing that is getting harder and harder through the years is like i was talking about the margin being smaller um that being on top of your game on that single bike um, after three days of riding is impossible, basically, because other teams, other riders spend weeks and weeks with development on the bike, suspension, and then they get 200% on race day. But obviously, if you don't spend time on that bike, um, you will never be 100% um, uh, speed-wise. So... I guess that's the only thing that is getting harder and harder. And back in the days, the margin were much, much bigger, I think, for both downhill and enduro. So it was, I guess, um, easier to get to those 90, 95% of your potential. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, all right, so moving on to the three questions here that um, I've been asking everybody. One of the big changes going into this season is Discovery Channel um theoretically is going to be doing coverage of uh of the series um and it seems like there's still a lot of mystery around what that's actually going to look like um have you do you have any thoughts on their involvement uh based on the other racers i've talked to it seems like everyone feels like there's a lot of room for improvement just in terms of the coverage of enduro obviously it's a super hard discipline to televise but just across the board coverage could be better um 
any thoughts on uh, on Discovery coming in and what you'd like to see? Um, yeah, obviously, um, more coverage, more live streams, but seems like uh, from what I've heard the last few weeks, seems like it's not the direction that uh, Discovery wants to go at the moment because I've heard that for 2023, 2023 sorry, there will be no live streams um, and that the goal was to make the courses harder and longer, long mm. days on the bike. So I'm not sure that it's 100% the right direction to go, but we've got nothing to say now. We're following... You know, we're following the series and um, there is, I think, a massive lack of communication from uh, the organizer at the moment because, you know, being a month away from the first race and nobody knows what's going to happen, how it's going to look like, the changes, the potential changes, no one knows. So that's one thing that I'm a little bit, um frustrated about but at the end of the day there is nothing you can do you just show up to the race as prepared as you can be and you will see the format and what will happen who knows for sure yeah and in the past the format's kind of been all over the place depending on the the venue and the year all that sort of thing there's been the pro stage multi-day whatever um is there a format that you like the most that you think would work the best long-term for Enduro? Um, not really. I, I've always think that um, the good thing about Enduros was that you could show up to one race and it would be totally different than the one that you did in the past. Um, and I kind of liked it because you really needed to be a complete rider uh, showing up to the races. Uh, sometimes we'll have a massive amount of climbing to be done on the liaison. Sometimes it will be even lower than 1,000 meters of elevation. So, you know, that will vary a lot. Um, but I'm guessing that in the future, they really want to stick to uh, maybe one distance, um, maybe go over 2,000 meters of elevation every day. Um, at least that's what I've heard, and you know I have no problem with that as long as they are telling us uh, <laughs> a little bit in advance. Because also for us as men, we we can actually pace ourselves on the liaison. But I've heard comments from the women that have been racing the last few years, and they were saying that. For them, the main race is going up the hill and arrive on time on top of the stages. Mm. And I think that that's one issue because this is not what enduro is all about. You know, yeah, you've got to be racing down the hill, but also for the spectators, you know, give a show to them. And um, and uh, yeah, it's been a few things like this that I think. Things like this could be solved with a little bit more communication, but also ask from the organizers. Um, it's been pretty dead the last few years, and uh, hopefully they're going in the right direction now, but no one knows, so we'll see. Yeah, interesting. Seems like maybe there could be 
Enduro could learn a little bit from downhill in that regard. It seems like a few years ago there there was a, a bit of a turning point where the riders started to get more of a voice. Um, and I don't know, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like there's a bit more dialogue now between the events and the UCI and, and the riders on the downhill side. And yeah, hopefully the, the Enduro side can get there eventually too. Um, yeah. last question. Do you have a favorite style course? Um, something you enjoy the most or excel at the most could even be a specific round. Um, obviously there's some, some rounds that happen every year now. Um, yeah. any thoughts there? Um, just thinking about, um, for example, a place like Finale Ligure. That's a place that we've been going back, I think, for 10 years now. Um, it's a high-speed terrain. It's a rocky terrain. It's usually pretty dry. It's also just next to the ocean. So I guess that's a place I really enjoy going every year. Um, and I like the terrain being so fast and so rocky and dusty. That's the kind of terrain that I like, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Do you like the riding in Tassie? Are you are you looking forward to these first two rounds? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's um, it's also very rocky. Um, every time we raced there, I think two times, and the two times it was quite wet. Um, but the rocks are very grippy, even though it's wet. So it's a place that I've been enjoying a lot riding there. It's it's like it's handmade riding nothing is really natural um but it's really fast and it sometimes reminds me of uh, a long bmx track with a lot of compression a lot of jump mm -hmm. and you need to work a lot on the bikes to to go as fast as possible so yeah that's that's a place i've been enjoying riding um, as well sweet man sounds good well, thanks for taking the time. Um, congratulations on the the new kiddo that's on the way, and thank you. Good luck this year. It'll be uh, interesting to see what the race formats are like. Hopefully, by the time you're flying to Tasmania, maybe people will know, or maybe you'll just be dropping in and finding out. <laughs> yeah, 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 who knows? We'll figure out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your time, Payson. Yeah, thank you. Um, enjoy your training camp in uh, Girona. Appreciate it. Sounds good. Cheers, mate. Okay, next up, the legend that is Richie Rude. Uh, Richie's a buddy of mine, Red Bull teammate, um, someone who I chat with off and on throughout the year. Uh, I have a lot of admiration for what he does. A uh, little known fact is he really enjoys riding his gravel bike, so we chat about that now and then as well. Um, someone who doesn't do a ton of interviews typically, so it's always a pleasure when we are able to get him on. I say that making it sound like we've done it before, which we have, except the episode got stolen. As insane as that sounds. Um, so stolen as in my electronics bag got stolen. So Still a mega gut punch that we don't have that amazing hour-long interview from a couple of years ago, but we're trying to make up for some last time now. And I was really stoked that Richie was 
willing to jump on again. Here's Richie Rude. Uh, okay, Richie, it's been a long time since we caught up, but thanks for doing this. Um, I don't know if people know, but like three years ago, you and I did an awesome in-person, like hour-long podcast, and uh, I had an external drive stolen while I was traveling, and your episode was on it, and I had no <laughs> backups yet, and it's one of my greatest... Um, like losses in regards to the podcast. So we're doing a, a tiny makeup here. We'll do a full length one at some point, but for now, um, just a quickie, uh, you're in Bellingham, but before we talk about kind of pre-race preparation, I was wondering if you could give us some insight into your off season. Like what did you do over the holidays, what you've been up to in the last couple of months and how you try to, uh, take some time away from the sport before ramping back up. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like starting out, um, me and my trainer kind of hung out after um, our last finale race, and that was Trophy of Nations. So got to spend some some couple days of downtime in Italy and a day in France. So that kind of you know set the off season off well. Just kind of get in there, relax in a nice spot. But um, yeah, since then I've been in a mix of home and Connecticut, and I did a trip up to up to Canada and spent some time on Vancouver Island and then, um, in Squamish with Todd as well for a little like Performex training camp. And then, um, yeah, back home. And then I did a short trip down to North Carolina to check out, um, uh, rock Creek. It's like Nico's new, new little bike park and got the ride there check out Pisgah, which was nice. But other than that, yeah, just in the gym and trying to ride outside and get some intervals done. Nice. Do you try to force yourself to, I know you're like, you're one of the fittest guys, um, on the circuit for sure. And I know you ride your gravel bike a lot and stuff, but do you try to force yourself to just put training away for any period of time and just do nothing? Or are you someone that just always likes to keep it rolling even through the winter? Yeah, I guess I kind of keep it rolling. I have a hard time. Like I think cause uh, like riding for me is kind of what I do. So I don't know, like doing nothing seems hard for me. <laughs> so, and then it's always tough cause you get home and sometimes like the nice weather's around. So you kind of like want to get out and just enjoy, enjoy the bike a little bit. So yeah, I guess that's kind of the, the chiller part, but, um, not having to be in the gym sometimes is always good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I know you get out on the gravel bike a lot. Is that is that something you actually enjoy, or is it sort of a necessary evil just for being prepared for these big EWS days? Yeah, I actually kind of enjoy being out on the road bikes or gravel bike. Like it, I don't know. It takes some of the the mental bit out of it of having to be on the mountain bike and and pay attention the whole time. It's good just to you know spin the legs and kind of see a more wide range of kind of scenery i guess when you're out on a road bike or something totally feels like more of an adventure sometimes i guess <laughs> yeah no that's that's for sure true um it's a fun tool for discovery uh so going into this year you were second overall last year uh you've been on both sides of of this coin both being defending champion obviously and then being in the in the mix but not being defending champion is your mindset any different like pre preseason training, 
Are the things going through your head any different in a year when you're defending champ versus second or third the previous year? I feel like the past two years, it's been a little bit different. I guess like, I don't know, if I guess we have like a few like weird off seasons, like the one we came in kind of after 2020 and then um, kind of last year being second, it was, I guess, frustrating, but also like it was a lot like mentally just kind of fighting one, two, the whole season. So it was like trying to just refresh that and come in like a bit more open-minded, I guess, to the results. Cause I guess like being, you know, that high up, you have high expectations. And then, yeah, I think being defending champ, sometimes you gotta just like take it as another year, I guess. And yeah, also do something similar and just, I guess, perform your best. Yeah. Has your, it, it's kind of crazy cause you're still definitely on the younger side, but you're sort of a veteran at this point and you started winning so young. Does yeah. it, has your mentality changed over the years? Like is your mindset different preseason at this point? Like when you look back, when you first started winning at this level mm-hmm. and you compare it, how, how do you feel like that's changed if at all? Yeah, I mean, it honestly, it feels like it's so long ago. Like, I think about it, and, like, I won the one, the two titles in 15 and 16, and, you know, that's over five years ago, and I'm just like, whoa, that was, like, so long ago. But, yeah, I mean, I think, I feel like now I'm probably a bit, I don't know, smarter about how I go about it, or just, like, it It feels more consistent than than those years. I don't know, it's hard to hard to put it and even kind of remember, I guess what I felt like then. Yeah. But I think I, yeah. I think I look at it more seriously, I guess now, mm. you, I guess you kind of think like, I don't know, like you are older, so you gotta make the, make the most of it, I guess. Totally. Yeah. I'm feeling that too. It's a big motivator. Once you start getting into your late twenties, like, Whoa, like this career is finite better. Uh, Better not waste it. <laughs> yeah. And, and then too, like when, you know, then I was the young kid coming up and now there's young kids coming up. So you got to stay on your toes. And I think about how, you know, when Jared was, it was the other way around. Now there's young kids on the team and I'm like, well, now I know what Jared feels like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are there any names that are kind of maybe right below people's radar at this point that you think could be breaking through in the next couple of years that come to mind? Yeah, there's definitely a couple fast like uh, Canadians or, or kind of Frenchies that are out there. And like Casper on the team, he was definitely trying to push through that a bit last year. And I think he would have been on for a good season if he hadn't had, you know, his crash and everything. So, yeah, nice. Cool. All right. So a few questions that we're asking of everybody. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Jill Kittner for helping me with these. Nice. Um, it was sort of her idea, idea actually, to get the top three men and top three women. Um, I was just texting with her earlier today, and she's like, it would be so sick if you did this. So she helped me out with a couple of questions yeah. um, since she's she's a little more adjacent to it. But one of the big changes that is happening this year um, for the EWS and then just across the board for the World Cup um, is Discovery Channel coming in, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of rumors kind of swirling around about what that might change. 
Um, based on where you sit, like, what are your, do you have any predictions about what will be different or have you heard anything about formats changing or scheduling or, or things that will directly affect the racing? Yeah. I mean, as far as like media coverage, I think that part I haven't really heard a lot about. It just seems like a lot of rumors on what it could be. And yeah, so that part, I don't really know, but I did see that, um, with the UCI and the whole like EDR thing that we're like now a one day race compared to kind of like a one and a half day race. So <clears throat> yeah, that for sure could kind of impact our, our racing a bit. Yeah. So are they going to, is that kind of the plan? They're going to consolidate everything into a single day? Yeah. From what I believe it's, um, so it can be like a world championship event. Like it has to be a one day. So uh-huh. I think, I think we'll, our like, you know, pro stage, we'll kind of move to like our last stage of the day and it'll just be, you know, on one race day on Sunday. How do you feel about that? Do you prefer it the old way or are you intrigued by that? I mean, I guess like our sport has changed so much. It seems like throughout the years, I kind of like yeah. the, like the one and a half day style, the one race stage the day before and like a full day on Sunday. Cause it kind of, it makes it feel longer than it is. And, um, you know, like I never, I didn't love the two day race format sometimes cause they're always like huge and, and the shorter formats kind of makes the racing more like intense and exciting, I guess. But I feel like a one day might feel pretty short, but who knows? I guess when we see, we'll see how it goes this year. Yep. So sort of similar, but, uh, overall, do you have any ideas about kind of the, the structure, um, for enduro, uh, any things that have come to mind maybe on a long gravel ride where you're like, Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, if you had a magic wand. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess I kind of like going to each race and kind of seeing how each venue does it. I mean, cause sometimes we have four stages and they're mostly tray lift or we have, and then like a couple of pedal ones and then, or it's like when we go to finale, we pedal to every single stage. So it's hard. I mean, I kind of like seeing how the promoter set it up and kind of, so it's a bit different here and there, I guess. So you prefer diversity? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you have a favorite round or a favorite style course? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite one per se. I usually like some of the French or Italian rounds where like, I guess it's more like big mountain stuff where sometimes you might use the chairlift to get to certain places and they're like, sometimes they have bigger stages and kind of like some Alpine stuff or I don't know. Sometimes even the shorter ones are fun and you just rip those four to five minute ones. Yeah. Sweet. Cool, man. Um, last thing is I know you're in Bellingham. Um, why are you there? What's the, What's the preseason secret sauce? Well, I mean, actually here to do some photos for for some some Yeti clothing, but uh, (laughs) kind of roped it into staying a few extra days to ride. And uh, yeah, Dave Trumpmore is showing us around some of the goods around town, so it's a good, good time to explore. Never really been here before, so it's good to... Good to get a view on it. 
Yeah, cool. And then will you go back to Connecticut to keep preparing there, or do you have some other locations that you like for preseason training? Yeah, going back home, and then, um, yeah, I think might head down to Australia like a little bit before the race just to hang out with Jared and get some some training done with him. Nice. Yeah. Uh, all the way down to Tassie, or would you be on mainland Australia? Um, I'm not sure yet. I think we'll be on mainland for sure. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Sweet, man. Um, well, thanks for the time. Good to catch up a little bit. It'll be yeah, fun thank to follow you. this year. Um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Yeah, thank you. All right, and defending champion Jesse Melamed. Uh, I'm going to say almost a regular on the pod now. We've had him a couple of times, had him pretty recently. And so here he is again. Enjoy this convo with Jesse Melamed. Um, I said it already before we started recording, but congratulations. Crazy. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other than, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it contributed to some changes for you going into this year, team-wise and all that sort of thing, which we can't talk about yet. But um, does being defending champion going into this year, has that made your offseason feel different in any way? It honestly, and I don't know if this is the team change, but it just, it hypes me up. Like I'm so stoked to have accomplished that and I've worked so hard for it. So to get that done is like, it's amazing. And it just fires me up to try to do it again. I'm just like that, that was sweet. I want more of it. Um, it makes you feel like what you're doing is, is right. And, uh, there's a ton of fulfillment there. So my off season has, it's shorter this year, which is going to be a big change because, Last year we started late and this year we're starting normal. So, um, I mean, I was pretty keen to just go like pretty much right away, November 1st to start training. So, yeah. Um, was there anything that you did this past year that you think contributed like any, any changes, adjustments? Uh, not much. It's just a consistency factor. Like just doing the same thing, you know, uh, I think I've spent 10 years of professional racing and figuring out what works for you. Um, and I think, you know, a couple of those trips, like coincidentally, I'm talking to you from Santa Cruz again. So I was down there last February or down here last February and I'm down here again. So, uh, that could be something, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just doing, doing the same thing, trusting the process and figuring, figuring it out slowly, but surely. Yeah. Um, have you felt any pressure yet or is that still a few months off? Uh, it's the same. I think I, I put pressure on my, I don't feel pressure. I mean, I do, of of course, but like most of it comes from myself wanting to do well. Uh, so that never really changes every, every year I go into the same being like, I just want to do well and having one doesn't really change it. Like for sure. First race, I'm going to be like, well, like I have no expectations, so I'm not going to think I'm going to go there and win. I'm just going to try to do my best and see where I'm at. And it's, I just, yeah, I don't want to set myself up for any disappointment. So expectations, expectations will just be like, you know, pretty mellow. Just try to have a good couple of races to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we talk preseason training, talk off season real quick, um, big blowout party of some kind, I'm guessing. (laughs) And then what did, what did the off season look like? What did you get up to? How'd you unplug all that sort of thing? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was really fun this year because we finished like the EWS, like the Indoor World Series in France. And then there was this team event called the Trophy of Nations in Italy. And we always race there in Finale Ligure most years. And this year it was a team event. So it's the top three riders from each nationality form a team. And then it's like a three riders go at once and race an Enduro stage. And it's wild and hilarious, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> so that I treated it like I'd obviously I took it seriously because I thought we had a really good chance, but I spent the week like really enjoying my time in, uh, in finale and yeah, enjoying some, some app praise and, and really having a good time. And that race started well. And unfortunately we kind of like DQ, uh, yeah, DQ'd out of it, uh, which sucked, but, uh, it was just a fun week there. And then we had a plan, a trip planned with the usual, like Remy Miranda miles. And we went to Barcelona and Girona for a week hung out and yeah, just decompressed. We did rent gravel bikes in Girona, but only did like two days or something. Um, just ended up kind of hanging out, finding good coffee shops, good places to eat. And, uh, in Barcelona, we had one big night. So that was pretty fun. Didn't get home till like five 30. And that was, that was, that was it. And then we flew home and <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And then back home, did you get any decompression time in Squamish? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, it was pretty chill. I had a lot of like celebratory dinners and stuff, which was really cool. I had a lot of like old family friends and my friends kind of had a night out for me. And that was really cool because I don't often celebrate myself. And so for people mm. to force it upon me was really nice and to just see how stoked all my friends and family were. So that was, that was really cool. Um, and then I mean, I can't really remember I'm kind of blanking, but just just riding bikes for fun, not like having any stress or pressure to do anything. And then luckily we got a really early snow, uh, snow season, like a couple of days. And I got out for a couple of early ski days. And so that was, that was pretty sweet. I would kind of wish seasons changed were like a slight, like one month different so that I could come home after racing and it would be like ski season. So I could just ski for a month and decompress and then start training. But it's kind of like a little bit delayed. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so were you having to, I mean, obviously there's lots of communication always going on with sponsors and team and that sort of thing. But in a year when you're transitioning teams, I'm sure that was even up a couple notches. Mm -hmm. um, were you having to tend to like product testing stuff and like mm -hmm. kind of checking that box? Like, okay, we're going to do this type thing. Or I don't know. I, I assume you had multiple options. Maybe you were trying different equipment. Did that change your off season much? Uh, not really because I'd already done most of that. Like uh, the deal was already essentially done before the last block. So I didn't have to do much in the off season, but it did feel like, and it has felt like I've been on two teams for the last like couple months. Cause obviously our contracts run to the end of the year. So I've been finishing my obligations for my current team. And then also like trying to get every like onboarding stuff for the new team. And it's been, it's definitely been a lot to manage. Uh, and that's something that I didn't really account for um so i've been pretty stressed recently but going into the new year i'm really excited because things are set up well and um, it's a great opportunity and i'm i'm looking forward to it so totally yep yep um so speaking of stress uh soul rides can come into play <laughs> i know from first-hand experience i know you're you're a sucker for a good soul ride sounds like you did a full binge <laughs> of mm -hmm. that in tucson to kick off your preseason training a bit um Talk to me about like why you prioritize that this time of year um, and whether you feel like that's pretty standard or something kind of unique to your preparation. I think it's, it's 
born out of where we live. Like our winters are normally okay. You can get things done. It's not the easiest to like do volume, but basic training says, you know, stack your volume early in the off season and just do like long base miles. Um, and that's ski touring is like my go-to thing for that because it is pretty good long and slow workouts. Like I can do like a five or six hour steady day on like climbing uphill. So that's pretty good, but it's hard. Cause it's like right now our snowpack's pretty terrible. So you can't really do much. And so Tucson was like pretty last minute trip booked beginning of December, just went there six days, rode every day. Um, and just, I just, it just makes me feel mentally good that I've kind of gone and accomplished something good in the in like the early off or the early training season because i find i've done it where i haven't done it before and you're just like okay you're doing good work but you just it just kind of gets away from you and you're like oh, i haven't really i don't feel like i've really got a, enough done quite yet and then i don't know it's hard to make up for that stuff so i just yeah. like to get as much done as early as i can really totally um do you have a favorite? Um, were you just like doing lemon laps while you were here, or do you have, do you try to change it up? Do you I try to do. I try to do every like direction. So I I actually didn't okay. do much overlap, which I was pretty happy with. I did like certain directions and almost like north, east, west, south. Um, I didn't make it to Madeira Canyon, which was a bummer because I like doing that one. Like we do shoot out and then go to Madeira, but. Uh, lemon is I only did it twice but man that is just like the greatest hill you can just do intervals as long as you want up that hill forever <laughs> I honestly I just like training it's what I love about enduro I used to race XC and what yeah I just like that we get to train for a living I think it's pretty it's hard yeah. constantly doing it but it's nice for me to get a break from like I think the the season itself is so mountain bike focused everyone is just talking mountain bikes you're just riding mountain bikes all the time so i think the winter like i ski a lot in the winter and then these road bikes is in, a way for me to get on the bike but not kind of on the mountain bike because i just i do love riding i think it's one of those things that just snowballs where the more you do it the more you want to do it the fitter you get and obviously in our sport like we, we kind of talked about this earlier is the fitter you are the longer you'll last for a weekend. So our, our weekends are pretty long in that sometimes we do two days of practice and then two days of racing. So by the time you get to that last stage, you've done, you know, I don't know, 12, 15 hours of riding. So you need to be able to do that and not be like beyond your limits. Yeah. So to me, in my mind, like the longer I can ride, the better I can prepare for these races. And like I said, it's just fun. Like, I don't know. I, I really do enjoy it. I like to suffer. And it's just just an experience on two wheels with a big group of people. Totally. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we're weird that we like that stuff. but Yeah, uh, I mean, part of me wishes that Enduro coverage did a better job of showing the, the pedaling aspect. And I know, I know that that's almost sort of a lame thing to say because mm -hmm. the descending is obviously what gets timed and it's the, yeah. the star of the show and it's so sick and, like, I cannot wrap my head around how fast you guys go downhill. But um, the, the thing that makes enduro in my mind potentially the gnarliest discipline of bike riding is you're basically doing dh tracks but like eight hour days sometimes mm -hmm. ten thousand plus feet of climbing just absolutely massive rides it's yeah. like dh racing combined with marathon cross country yeah and you're doing it three four days in a row mm -hmm. weekend after weekend it is bananas yeah. And mostly self-supported. Like you said, there's some, there's some tech zones and stuff, but by and large, you have to fix your stuff when it breaks. Yeah. Um, 
really mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any stuff that happens kind of like in, in those days that maybe outsiders don't get to see that we'd be surprised about, whether it be like how hard you actually have to pedal on the ups to make the cutoffs or I don't know. I think the cool thing about Enduro and like some people don't like this, but it's kind of never the same. Never want, never like no event is ever the same. Um, so even if they put like Finale Ligure as a staple, we've done that, that race in Italy, probably every year for eight years or whatever and still this year the first climb it's probably a 1500 meter climb we get like two and a half hours to do it it's like massive climb right off the start and usually you have times where like you have to be going at like a steady pace like you're not killing yourself to make it but you you steady pace and then you have like maybe 10 minutes at the top and then this year i don't know what it was but like having done it enough times in the past i was getting kind of to the end like close to the end maybe like 30 minutes away and i was like man i've don't have that much time and like you kind of look around you and there's the guys are all kind of like man we really have to go and that one i like put in a threshold effort for the last 10 minutes had a minute before i dropped in and for such a long climb like i've taken my jersey off i've taken my cheek pads out of my helmet like really trying to like keep your heat down because it was a super hot day and so i did just like rush to get all this stuff on and then you just like basically just on a threshold effort you're stressed out putting your stuff on and then you're dropping in for a seven minute stage that you just have to rip so that stuff happens. I think on the opposite end, a lot of it is just like a really fun day with your, like you don't, you don't have like the whole group of like pro men, but whoever you're around, you have like usually five or six people and you get to just spend like a day with them and you just chit chat and it's usually pretty mellow at the climbs. And um, yeah, I think that's really fun. I think, I know that some of those things get posted, but there's a lot of com- camaraderie. Like we're racing the clock, not really each other. Yeah. So if someone like flats or someone breaks something like everyone is going to help this guy out because we just want him to finish the race. So I feel like that happens quite often. Mm. We're all kind of like egging each other on to like go because really the racing happens on the stage. And if if someone else is faster than you, like they're just faster than you. So um, there's a lot of that, which I think is pretty cool. What's something you'd like to see in Enduro that maybe pushes the boundaries, whether it be rules wise or like something that would shake it up in a way that would be positive or do you kind of like the i think we're at a pretty good spot i would just love to see the promotion of it just get better like i just want to i want people to see and understand more of what we do and how we do it because it's just it's really hard to grasp it's it's such a simple concept but to watch it and be excited to watch it over the weekend. Like I'm someone who watches world cup downhill XC and, and any other event. And it's like super exciting. And there's just something different to watching something live than a recap video, the speed and like what we do on these trails, I think is just so cool. And I like love watching my competitors and, and do that. Um, but I would just love to, cause like you watch downhill and like, wow, that is so impressive. And I think we do a lot of similar stuff in, in, in Enduro, so I think if they could figure that out, that'd be really cool. The format, though, I think is... They kind of bounced around a bit where, like, last year, some of the days were, like, super easy and bike parky, but it was kind of lame. But I think generally, like, the really long days where we're just kind of... It's just physical and mental suffering and then racing five or six stages in a day is pretty sweet. I, I love to do it, and I think that it would be... Yeah, if they could make it live somehow, it'd be really cool. Cool. Um, anything good, else? Good chat. I don't know. We'll have to think of some more stuff, and we'll do another one. Yeah, sounds yeah. good.
Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jesse, Richie, and Martin. I want to say a big, big thank you to Everyman Jack for supporting today's episode. Everyman Jack is an awesome body care company that I first became familiar with because of their awesome razors. Still a huge fan of their razors, some of the best in the biz. But I recently have gotten hooked on all of their other body care products, which include everything from hand and body lotions to deodorant, shaving cream, face wash, um, all kinds of stuff. Everything you need to basically take care of your grooming needs and your hygiene and skin health needs. Um, the more time I spend doing this job and the years the years tick by, the more I really am being mindful of taking care of my skin. And Everyman Jack makes an awesome array of products to do just that, and they're all naturally derived. They're made with as many naturally derived plant-based ingredients as possible. They're also cruelty-free, never been tested on animals. They're also vegan and gluten-free, if that is important to you. They also have awesome bundles available on their site as well, collections of uh, some of their different products. If you go to everymanjack.com and use code STASH20 at checkout, gets you 20% off anything on the site. Everymanjack.com. That's E-V-E-R-Y-M-A-N-J-A-C-K.com. Thank you all so much for listening today. And thank you to Lily McKelvin for editing and producing the show. We have some awesome guests coming up. We've got a couple of guests lined up over the course of the next two weeks that I am really jazzed about. Fun interviews, people that I'm just fans of. So really excited to bring those to you soon. Thanks as always for listening every week and we'll catch you for the next one.